0: Welcome to the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast from Nashville, Tennessee. I am your host, John Martin Keith. Celebrities, working class musicians, and people who work behind the scenes in all areas of the music industry will share their stories, encourage you, and give practical advice of ways you can make a living doing what you love in the music industry. This episode is brought to you by Eden Brook Productions. Edenbrook Productions is the company I founded to help musicians grow in their craft. Are you a songwriter, but maybe you've been told your songs aren't quite there yet? Or are your songs ready, but you don't feel stage ready? Or maybe music is your passion, but you feel imprisoned by your day job and you don't know what to do next to make your dream a reality. Well, Eden Brook Productions is here to help. We offer consulting services via phone call, Skype, and FaceTime. And for the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast listeners, we're offering an introductory one-hour consultation special. Click on the link in the show notes to contact me and let's get you making a living in the music industry. Hey everyone, welcome to the show today. This week I'm talking with Pam Lewis of PLA Media here in Nashville. PLA is a public relations company that gets their clients in front of audiences and consumers through public appearances on TV and in print. Pam has an amazing history of being one of the people who launched MTV in the early 80s and also helped launch the careers of Garth Brooks and Tricia Yearwood. We are discussing the abilities you need to have to work for a PR firm, as well as what it takes to start your own PR company. Please enjoy my conversation today with Pam Lewis. Hey, everyone. I am hanging out with Miss Pam Lewis of PLA Media here in Nashville, Tennessee. Hi, Pam. How are you?
1: Such a pleasure to be here for season four. I'm really honored. Thank Thank you. you.
0: I'm excited to have you on, and, and just I'm grateful that you took the time out to do this. You're a busy lady.
1: Oh, not at all. It's my pleasure. Who doesn't like to talk about themselves? <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's true. Uh, there's not many people that I don't think don't enjoy talking about themselves. So, um, But thank you for taking the time. I-, I wanted to bring you on because you are a publicist. PLA Media does publicity. Um, and you're actually the first publicist that I've had on the podcast out of Four seasons. Um, I've tried to reach out into different facets of the music business, having different people on that that kind of cover everything in the industry. And there's so many different things. People just kind of think about. Naturally, the audience thinks of. You have there's an artist, there's mm-hmm. a songwriter, and there and maybe a producer. And those are really the, probably the big three that people think of. Mm-hmm. You know, when it comes to music, but there are so many things behind the scenes that make those people. You know that that's the reason the public knows about them because all the people behind the scenes that you it's don't the
1: glue and that holds it all together absolutely you know. mm-hmm.
0: yeah so and that's what you do so i wanted to uh, have you on and to tell your story and so if you would just kind of tell us who you are where you're from and what got you into the music business
1: well sure and thanks again marty for having me
0: Sure.
1: i'm um, originally from upstate new york and grew up in a rural area in the beautiful catskill mountains hudson river valley And my dad and mother were self-made folks. They both went to college. My father became a superintendent, school superintendent, principal, and my mother was a dental hygienist. And I just grew up with really very much Puritan ethic, hard work, turn the TV off, pick up a book, uh, education's important, that sort of mindset. I went to a, a small high school, and my father, of course, picked all my teachers. And then I went to college on the Finger Lakes, uh, and the college at the point, at that point was all women. It was founded in 1868. It's called Wells College. It's still around, and it's a great school. And I, it really allowed me to spread my wings, spent a year abroad, lived in France for a while, traveled all over the place. I always loved to travel. And I always tell people, travel, make it a lifelong Ambition to travel and to meet new people see new countries and get out of your comfort zone. It's really important to do that mm. So I love that and as a matter of fact, I didn't want to come home I was like, oh, I guess I need to finish my senior year so I came back to the States and finished up at Wells and my parents were like, well, you should go get an MBA and I was kind of sick of school and my mom was like, well, you should work at the Federal Reserve Bank, because I had an econ degree. And I was like, I, I would rather slit my throat than work at the <laughs> Federal Reserve. Because it's, I mean, econometrics, all of that is just my eyes glaze over. Even though I, I had studied econ, uh, I was really more in the arts. And But I did interview, believe it or not, for the Federal Reserve Bank. And I got a job offer to work in advertising for Ted Bates Advertising and was just a really small job because i thought wouldn't it be fun to write wouldn't it be fun to work at in advertising and then i had an an offer not in network television but to work in cable tv Hmm. and that became a really pivotal decision for me and i worked for a company that was a joint venture between american express and warner communications and they had formed a entertainment division and they had nickelodeon which was a kid's channel right uh, non commercial, all really pro educational content. They had the movie channel, which was the first 24 hour channel of movies. Mm-hmm. And they did something really avant garde at the time. They did what they call interstitial programming. So they were actually interviewing Scorsese and actors and in between films. And then they had something called the music channel that morphed into MTV. Wow. And they had something called the Shopping Channel. So they were really cutting edge at the time. Okay. And had I not taken that job, because to me, it was like, who wants to work in cable television? I wanted to work at network television. I, mean, I grew up watching Walter Cronkite. You know, that's what I thought. But I sort of took a leap of faith. I think I was making $11,000 a year and living in Manhattan. So it was a little tight, but uh, it was great training ground. And I had a powerful woman... Boss who was uh, scary, but learned a lot from her, <laughs> and um, living the dream. And through that experience, I met because I was doing a lot of work at the MTV department. I met um, I met people in the music industry, Okay. and they ended up offering me a job to move to Nashville.
0: Okay, let, let, let me ask, Let me stop you just for a second. I want to talk about MTV for a second. Mm-hmm. So you were you were on the cutting edge of the launch. Of MTV. Yeah. You know, music, television. Everybody knows MTV, right? Yeah, but Um,
1: it wasn't... Nobody knew if it was going to succeed. Right. At the time. This is early
0: 80s. This is... Early 80s,
1: exactly. And as a matter of fact, people don't realize this, it didn't launch in New York. It launched in New Jersey. We couldn't get the channel capacity for Manhattan Cable. Okay. And my bosses were like, you have to take it 24 hours. The whole programming is based on it being 24 hours. And it was a concept that was hard to get people to wrap their brain around. And we had to explain to the writers at the time, the journalists, we would show them air checks. They would come into my office, they would lay on the floor and give them pillows, and they would watch these air checks with the VJs doing interviews and watching videos because they couldn't watch it at home. And we also needed commercials because it was commercial-driven. So we needed two things. We needed the record labels to produce videos. We needed commercials to support it. So Madison Avenue couldn't see it. And the music centers were in L.A., in New York, and they couldn't see it. Hmm. So we had a real pickle trying to get people to kind of wrap their brain around it. So who had videos? International artists. David Bowie, Men at Work, Flock of Seagulls, uh, Dexy Midnight Runner, uh, The Buggles. They all had videos because there were video jukebox shows. And video jukebox actually could go into clubs in Europe, in Germany, etc., and you put in some coins, and you could actually watch a video in a club. Wow. So they were really cutting edge over the US artists at the time. So uh, it's hard to believe looking back that it wasn't as ubiquitous as it is now, you know. Sure. And of course, it's morphed, and now there's all these different divisions of. Viacom, MTV, and the different channels, and people say, oh yeah, well, it used to be about music. Um, And it was definitely about music. And we also went through a lot of controversy at the time because uh, we had Rick James who wanted us to play his music, and my bosses were like, it's not, this is not rock music, we can't play this. So he was calling us racist MFers, that was uh, the cover of Billboard magazine, and also we would not play Michael Jackson. Now my opinion was why wouldn't you play michael jackson but i was definitely not making the decisions on programming and so the cbs said either you play michael jackson or we're going to pull all of our videos so guess I've what i've read
0: about that yeah
1: billy jean got played thriller yeah. got played and, and the rest is history yeah, but at the off. time there were some cold feet mm-hmm. about that mm-hmm. uh, hard to believe
0: so what was your job specifically for MTV? What did you do to help get them going? Or once they got going, what did I you do? I was
1: doing publicity. I was okay. covering interviews. We would have the artists would, would be doing interviews in the studio with Paul Simon. or And I would just make sure we would get the photographs and service the press releases and edit and doing whatever correspondence. And okay. it was early days of word processing. Oh,
0: wow. Well. Yeah. Know.
1: So okay. it was very... Uh, It was pretty cutting edge i mean i don't think i realized what a phenomena it was to be be honest you just sort of get up in the morning you go to work and you don't No, it was fun it was really fun i mean i would be like three or four things to do every night you know of this guest list and that guest list and so it was a kid in a candy store living in manhattan as you can imagine yeah Um, so so
0: can, can you let's stop for a second can you just explain to the audience grade school level what is a publicist what is your job as a publicist what do you do for for musicians and artists and what is the role that you provide for them as that
1: well the sort of existential thing i say is i listen to you i hear your dreams and i try to take your dreams and take it to the next level and make you a household name okay i mean that's in sort of the most esoteric way okay and that can be f- through our press release that can be through booking you for an event helping you do a concert, promoting the concert, finding you uh, a possible endorsement. And there's lots of different ways to do that. But it's basically taking someone, or really, a publicist doesn't have to be for the music industry. It could be I've worked with authors, we've worked with restaurants. We've worked anybody who is wanting to take their dream and take it to the next level, okay. they hire someone to help them get the word out. And that can be through a plethora of different areas. It could be through print television, radio, social media, the internet. Any any of the 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 huge opportunity in the, this communication age that we're in. So I I always say people lament the internet. I say, well, in some ways it's great because it's leveled the playing field. Mm-hmm. You know, we have everybody's got a computer in their back pocket now. Yeah. So I'm I'm not someone to handering about about that. Um, I'm very glad that I've got to experience the old days of the music industry and the sort of old Nashville and the new Nashville. And I certain there's a certain longing for the good old days, if you will, but yeah. I think people often they have nostalgia about their roots, if you will.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: but it's also a very exciting time. and you can have people go viral at any at any moment. It could be you. It, it could be your song, it could be your melody that just takes off or gets sampled or whatever
0: do you find it harder or easier to work with an artist who is not signed to a label
1: we mostly work with unsigned artists
0: so you find it easier than i would say to some degree
1: um or, or, or maybe not easier how, how is ways. it
0: different how do you how would you say that it's different to work with a Uh, Indie artist as opposed to a labeled
1: artist? I've worked with both. Label, there's a lot more levels of bureaucracy. Okay. So I I find that if you work with a label artist, you have a lot more meetings. And you have meetings about meetings. Right. (laughs) And you have people, many, many more people copied on emails. And many more people's opinions that you're addressing. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you're dealing with the ego of the artist and you're dealing with the ego of the managers and the ego of the marketing department and all of that, that at times makes the job more difficult. Now, that said, having the the push and the marketing money and the tour support uh, of a label is is very important, but those days are fewer and far between. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen any anymore as much as it used to. I mean, there were probably 11 or 12 labels when I moved here. And everything's been consolidated. There are very few labels. So it used to be, if you didn't have a label deal, you were pretty much dead in the water. Yep. And you also had to go into a studio. You had to have a studio. You had to pay a producer and an engineer. And now people are producing things on their laptop that sounds just great and you had to travel to write with someone, and now you can Zoom, and you look at all of the freedom we have Mm -hmm. that we didn't have not that long ago, really.
0: Yeah. Do you think that the budget that a label provides for publicity is, I'm assuming it's gonna be much higher than an indie artist is probably going to be able to, to, to offer for the same services?
1: Not necessarily. Really? Not necessarily, because um, I really think that that I think PR is often misunderstood, not credited and not as valued as other parts of the business. There's a lot of label waste. So there's a lot of money spent on radio promotion, for example. Mm -hmm. If you don't want to chase radio, you can save a lot of money. There's also a lot of money spent in the traditional production that it's it's always been hard to recoup because you have these huge budgets. So do you have to spend that in order to produce a great record? Maybe not. Not necessarily. Sure. So it's a lot of uh, gamesmanship. Okay. And the old adage is you always have to sue to get paid anyway in the business. <laughs> you know, you've got to audit and sue to yeah. get paid. So it's never been the most uh, crisp, clean business. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm not saying that there everyone is dishonorable, but it's it's really easy way to hide money.
0: Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, we'll come back to to some of those things here a little bit, but um, let's get back to. So you were working MTV, Nickelodeon, and those different types of programs on cable uh, in New York, and then you got an opportunity to come to Nashville. Is that right? Yes. Okay.
1: Actually, I I got an opportunity to move to actually come for an interview. Okay. And I had been here. My family came on a vacation during the World's Fair and I thought it looked a lot like upstate New York, rolling hills, etc. And that appealed to me. But I did not want to live here. I mean, who in the world would leave Manhattan to move to Nashville? I uh, I had met some people, funny enough, this is, this is what you do when you when you're not fearful. I had a boyfriend who got hired to work a lot of record labels artists to do grip and grin photos backstage and to shoot concerts and he would shoot every genre of music and he was an italian guy from new york from brooklyn and he detested country music christian music country music he was a rocker you know he was like hung out with eric clapton yeah. that was his bag so he called me up and he's like, oh, man, I've got to go to the Meadowlands and I've got to shoot Alabama. Do you want to come with me? I'm like, sure, I'll come. Yeah. And I was just a kid. So I'd get a backstage pass and I'd be backstage at Alabama. And I had really no reason to be there. I, I was just hanging out. And there were people standing around. I had no idea who they were. And they are like, what do you do? And I said, well, I work at MTV. And they're like, you do? You work at MTV? So who I was talking to? The head of the label. <laughs> Joe Galani, Randy Goodman, Tony Brown. I had no idea who they were. The publicist. So they wanted to get to know me because I worked in MTV and they're like, Mm -hmm. can we get you, you know, can can you get us some swag? Like, we we really want to get a t shirt. Can you get us a t shirt? And I I thought they were nice people and I didn't mind country music. I listened to Poco and Crosby, Seals, and Nash. And I loved that kind of music. And I I was not a heavy, heavy rocker, although I like some rock stuff too. So we exchanged business cards and the publicist would call me and she's like, Pam, I need to get to the Villa Toys. Who do I talk to at the Villa Toys? Well, call Bob Criscow. And then she called me and she's like, I got, uh, we're trying to have so-and-so's playing wherever. And so she would pick my brain for contacts and we're looking for a video producer. Who would you recommend? You know, we just got to be phone friends. So one day she called me up and I didn't have time to take her call. And I thought she probably just needed another telephone number. So she calls back again and she's like, listen, this is important. I need to talk to you. And I was like, what do you, what do you need? I'm, I'm busy, Cindy. She said, you need to come interview for a job in Nashville. I'm leaving. I'm getting married and we need to fill this job. And they like you. They met you. You should come and do this. And, of course, Joe used to be from New York. He was born and raised in New York. So I think he liked the fact that I had the New York sensibility. So I said, I don't want to live in Nashville. She said, listen, just shut up. Just come. We're going to send you a ticket, call in sick, and come. So I did. I called in sick. On the way to the airport, I stopped and picked up a copy of Billboard. And I thought, somewhere in here is a country chart. (laughs) I don't know where it is, but it's in here somewhere. Finally, I'm leafing through. I find it. I look, and it says, okay, RCA. And I checked all of the songs that were RCA songs, Mm -hmm. RCA artists. And I really didn't want the job. And I think because I didn't want it, and I was confident, and I started talking about Islands in the stream and congratulations or whatever, they offered me the job. And I thought, oh, my God, I don't really want this. So then I tried to talk him into letting me stay in New York. And can't I just come like once a month and I'll commute? And you know, really this is like where all the power is in New York and all the media, blah, blah, blah. No, that was not gonna work. So I grudgingly moved here. I mean, when I tell grudgingly, it was grudgingly. And I was devastated. Like it was such culture shock for me. I could not watch Woody Allen movies. Anything that had New York in it, it would make me depressed Mm. and it would make me homesick. I left my family. I was in love with a guy. I left him, and I thought, "What have I done?" And I did that for a year, and then I got fired. <laughs> and I'm like then, I really thought, "What have I done?" So the guy that I was in love with, I had been seeing him long distance. I called him up, and I said, "Well, guess what, Andy? I got fired." And he was like, "Well, guess what? I'm in love with someone else." Oh, so it's wow. like one of the like the worst days of my life yeah, ever. It doesn't get any worse than that. So I just limped around and felt sorry for myself and finally said, well, this is really boring. This pity party is really boring. And then I started to, uh, I went to a career counselor and I was sort of complained about my life and eventually I kind of got some help. I got some, a little bit of help with career and just kind of got my head on straight. I started, uh, really getting back to my spiritual growth and started owning what, what I could have done differently or what, what was the teachable moment here. So then I started uh, rolling up my sleeves and being open to Nashville, where I hadn't been. I was mad at Nashville. I moved here, and I had been promoted and promoted and promoted the whole time I was living in New York. And I moved here, and this two-bit town kicked me on my rump, and I was mad. And I I didn't know a lot of people either, so I was lonely. And when I started to bless Nashville and embrace Nashville, and love Nashville Nashville started to love me back and great things started to happen and you get what you put out basically Mm -hmm. so one of the things that happened was a phone call to have well the same people that I met backstage now Tony Brown had been at RCA he was now at MCA so he was like oh yeah I remember you hey you want to work with Patty Loveless hey would you like to work with Nicolette Larson hey how about Lyle Lovett I love it you want to work with Lyle Lovett? You want to work with Steve Earle? So he would throw me work. And I was doing independent PR for them. Okay. So it kept me afloat, basically. Yeah. And the CMA threw me some projects, and one thing led to another. And then a guy named Bob Doyle called me, and he he was hard to read. I had several meetings with him. I didn't know what the hey he wanted from me. But finally he said that he was going to leave ASCAP and form a management company, and would I be interested in working with him And we would partner in a management company. And for the life of me, I was like, well, all right. And uh, so we formed Doyle Lewis Management. And Bob had met this guy named Garth Brooks. <laughs> and Garth needed help. so he, Just he, getting started at the time. Absolutely. Wow. And Bob had decided to publish him. And so the rest is history. So that was about eight years of my life. And because I'd been dumped and I had been so humiliated, all I did was work. Like I was just humping, 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 humping. And eye on the prize. And I I think it took that kind of tenacity to do what we did. And we were on a wing and a prayer. We didn't have all this big investment money behind us. We didn't have sponsorships. We just kind of like, how much money do you have in your bank account? You know, let's pool our resources. Mm And we were on Capitol Records, which was not the top label. Um, so, it was just really very magical time to be alive, you know. And and I'm glad I was young, and I'm glad that I had that opportunity. I'm really proud of the work we did. It was not without turmoil and trials and tribulations. And I had already started a PR firm, so when RCA fired me and MCA and the CMA and some other companies started to throw work my way, I thought, well, I'll form a PR company. And I've always wanted to have my own company, so I'll just do it. And I was sort of working out of my house and had a, a selectric typewriter and banging out press releases and bios or whatever. And um, I didn't really think that any label would hire me because I'd been fired by the top label, and I sort of felt like I was blackballed. Okay. That may not have been true but that's the way I felt. Sure. I had felt a lot of shame and a lot of defeatism. So I thought well I can start my own company. I can hang my own shingle out. And I never wanted to close it because I never knew if Garth was going to be successful. So Garth started to take off a little bit and I started to get busier. So I hired people to run the company, run my PR company. And then Bob and Garth were like, well, you should close that. I'm like, well, you know, you've got other things you're doing and I just don't really want to do that. And I was like, well, you know, Tammy Wynette never gave up her musician's license. You know, like I don't want to, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Aren't I working hard enough for you? Mm -hmm. So I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I never closed it. And I still have the company and-
0: uh, So the management company, was working with Garth, correct? Correct. So, who was doing PR for Garth if you were? not Me. You were doing PR. Mm-hmm. But it was through the in-house. It was at in-house Doyle Lewis. through the management company. At Doyle okay. Lewis, yeah. Okay, I see. That makes sense.
1: But I wasn't getting paid as a publicist. It was it, we were just at, at that point there were no 360 deals. So, it was all commissioned income. I see. So, part of the time I wasn't getting paid at all because there was not there was no money coming in. So, I was willing to put sweat equity in. Sure.
0: Okay. Um, and so now I know you've worked with Garth, you've worked with Tricia Yearwood.
1: Right. Got her deal as well.
0: Okay. Um, you've worked with Alabama.
1: Oh, golly, yeah. Well, that was all RCA, Alabama. And... The
0: Judds, Kenny Rogers.
1: Yep. Um, Dolly.
0: Dolly Parton. That was all, th- but that was, was that doing PR or was that doing management for you? PR. That was doing PR, PR. Through, through RCA Records at the time. Is that correct? R- that
1: was RCA, yeah. Okay. And then MCA was. The people I mentioned earlier, uh, Steve Earle and Nicolette and Patty Loveless and Lyle. and so They had some uh, interesting op- like left-of-center projects. Deep Ellum was mm-hmm. one of the projects that we worked. And then I had other independent acts that, that I worked with as well. And Bob and I had independent artists that we represented. And some of them, we had Great Plains who were wonderful, Jack Sundred and those guys, and Hank Flamingo, and Buddy Monlock, a folk uh, kind of in the tradition of Tens and mm-hmm. Guy Clark.
0: So PLA Media, you, you've had that pretty much the whole time that you were here in Nashville. Yes. Once you left RCA, you started that and then you, and then you went to work for the management company. Right. And kind of had that on the side. And then right. once you left management, then PLA Media became your main thing, correct?
1: Right. Um, and what I did, it was it was Pam Lewis and Associates, but when Bob and Garth felt threatened and said, you really need to get rid of this. I renamed it PLA Media, and I thought, well, if there isn't a Doyle Lewis Management and a Pam Lewis and Associates, maybe they will feel less threatened. I will take my name off of this, hmm. and it will just be PLA Media, which is short from, for P Pam Lewis and Associates. That was kind of my, out of respect to them, feeling like, oh, you, you should close this kind of thing.
0: But, yeah. Um, what is it that you think, what would you say is... The most important aspect of being a publicist for an artist, like what is it? Is it getting them on print, or is it social media nowadays? Like or like all the different facets of that, that a publicist does for an artist. Like what are those things that that really stick out to you? Being this is the this is the biggest thing that you can get a return on investment from. Does that make sense?
1: I would say yes. <laughs> in answer to your question, I don't think there's any one silver bullet. I mean, it used to be, if you were on the Ed Sullivan show, that was it. Yeah. If you were on Carson, that was it, that's all you had to do. So there's many ways to find success. I think being a good publicist is helping connect the dots and looking for those opportunities and not looking for the obvious opportunities and also being really tenacious. So if you go to one editor and they say no, Find another angle. Find another way to enter the door. Or maybe you're maybe you're not getting success promoting a particular album, we'll say, or song. Mm-hmm. Maybe you'll get a story because this particular person you're working with has a charity that they're involved with. Or they have a collection. Maybe they love their gourmet cook. Maybe they volunteer at a soup kitchen. I don't care why they get written about as long as they get written about okay and and while they're getting written about because they're volunteering for second harvest they also there's a paragraph in there about their new album mm-hmm. so it's you just don't keep you don't give up and i think that's the i think with life in general is people quit too early
0: sure oh, i agree to, with that you
1: have to look at the long range yeah. i've got to believe that one of the most disheartening but also the most blessing professions. In the world is writing and songwriting because you are fraught with so much defeat so many times you write a great song and it gets turned down or it never gets picked up or it never even gets heard so why do you write because you can't not write it's in your DNA that's what you do yep
2: Mm -hmm.
1: so to me it's I look at it like a challenge it's like okay this person needs to be marketed what can i do to find a way to make that happen what is the challenge to make that happen
2: mm-hmm.
1: and write make sure that you're writing a compelling pitch make sure that when you're on the phone with someone if you're lucky enough to get someone on the phone first thing you say is are you on deadline have you got time to talk because if they are on deadline don't bother okay call back another time
0: that's good advice
1: and just be tenacious. And at any given outlet, there's usually potentially other people that you can go to. And there are some editors that would rather talk to a woman. There are some that would rather talk to a man. My, uh, one of my early teachers said, find common ground, Whoever you get on the phone, find common ground. So you can talk about the weather. You can talk about sports. You can talk about, Hey, how was your Easter? How was your Passover? Whatever. Yeah, Find some common ground. Become a human being. Right. And then when you you build that confidence, they're more likely to take your call. Mm -hmm. And you don't waste their time. You don't go off in tangents. You're succinct. And you're very appreciative. Sure. Thank you for taking my call. I know you don't have to talk to me. Thank you very much. You can't be so... You can't be brusque. You can't be... Entitled, I would say a lot of people that come here and we have an internship program, they don't like to talk on the phone. that that is strikes fear in them. <laughs> so
0: they're so used to texting nowadays or yeah. Facebook or social media, whatever. All of the above. yeah,
1: and they also uh, they don't value words.
0: Yeah.
1: It's harder for them. To, you don't find as many good writers. And they don't read. They don't read for fun. They read because they have to,
2: mm-hmm.
1: or they read because they're Googling something, but just the joy of picking up a book that don't you don't see it as often. Yeah. And I think Mary Martin, who was one of the great A&R people and manager, she was managing Vince Gill, she had a sign in her office, and the sign said, if you don't read, you can't write. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. Mm-hmm.
0: When in, a, in an artist's career, do you suggest that they would hire a publicist? Just like when an artist starts out, they don't automatically get a manager. They don't need one when they first start out.
1: There's nothing to manage.
0: Right, exactly. Until they start getting some, you know, they're out playing shows around their hometown or in the region or things like that. And they start getting some exposure and that gives a reason for a manager to come on and start putting them into other opportunities so in that same context like when would you see see that it's a good idea for someone to hire a publicist for an artist to do
1: well i think you need to if you're an artist and i understand the sanctity if you will of being an artist how difficult that is especially if you are also a singer songwriter and there's an art and there's a certain amount of divine intervention to being an artist i get that but just because you want to write and just because you want to sing, doesn't mean that anybody cares or anybody is going to buy what you do. Right? They don't have to. You are not entitled to that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Therefore, I say to people: if this is what, if there's anything else you can do, anything <laughs> do it. that will make you happy, do it.
0: You're not the first person that on the, has been on the show to say that very same thing. <laughs>
1: Well, you know, Willie Nelson was asked, what would you be doing if you weren't doing this? If you weren't successful? He said, like, what do you mean? This is what I do. So if that's what you do, that's what you do.
2: Yeah.
1: You ask Van Gogh, what would you do? Van Gogh was a painter. That's what he did. That was his raison d'etre. He was following his bliss. Okay, so this is the same thing with music. But I used to get so annoyed when people would send me unsolicited songs and they'd be livid that I didn't listen to them because I was busy like (laughs) excuse me you didn't have you didn't ask to send it you didn't ask if I was look looking for songs listening to songs had any interest in you and now you're mad at me because you sent me a song that I didn't ask for because I'm busy working with people who I am working with who are paying me right so I understand tenacity I get that but don't be rude right so I would say that you, you meaning the artist, have to want it better, better and more than your wife wants it for you or your mother wants it for you, or I want it for you. Mm-hmm. This, is your, this is your life work. Treat it like a business. And people come to us all the time, get, a, get me a booking agent. Well, how many dates do you have on the books? None. Well, why would a booking agent want to book you when you have no reason for them to think that there's any demand for you yeah I mean you can pick up the phone and book yourself people do it all the time yep make up a name say that you're the artist management calling I don't really care there's ways to get it done but you have to treat it like a business and if you don't you know I always say uh there's not as much artist development anymore. So you have to look at it as a business. You have to surround yourself. You have to act like a business person. You have to return phone calls. You have to be on time. You have to look appropriate. You have to, I always am impressed when people write thank you notes, which very rarely happens, or text or call. Even, to, hey, thanks for taking time, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they're just like, It's less necessary than in other areas because our job is to create a buzz. So it's helpful if there's something to work with. Like we have someone that we work with who is on American Idol. So there was already a little bit of a buzz. Sure. But we're helping take it to the next level. We're helping fine-tune that. We're helping to brand that person. So I think the, the key is to... I mean, I think sometimes people look at the music industry, and I see it with other businesses, and they they don't take it seriously. They don't realize how difficult it is. If you have any success at all, if you have a song cut, the odds are against you. If you happen to get a gold or platinum record, the odds are against you. As a woman, the odds are against me still. It's better. So instead of recognizing that and being like wow they must be good or they must have worked hard it's like well they're it's in the music industry you can't take those people seriously they're on on drugs and you know they don't get up before noon and whatever
2: right yeah
1: and i've found that dealing with government where they don't realize what the music industry contributes to this town they give lift service but they don't really they're going to give a lot more credence to the nissan stadium to football team for example nothing Mm -hmm. against i'm glad we have a pro football team but the lifeblood of this town is still the music industry it's called the music city correct yeah so um
0: so let me ask you this um so if someone wanted to hire an artist wants to hire you mm -hmm. pla media to do publicity for them can anyone hire you do they need to have an album out that they need to be Touring so many dates a year before you'll start working with someone, or is that do you see that as your job is to get those get their name and their face and their story out there so that people will want to in turn come see them or want to book them or things like
1: that? Well, Marty, people come in various stages, okay. so there have been people saying, Hey, you know what, I've got some songs, uh, help me get it to the next level so people come either looking for songs so then we will help do a song search people are, sometimes they'll comment they, they want a, a producer or they have an album but they need it packaged so we provide graphic design so it just depends most people come and they have already done something they yeah. have a single done or they have a, they have a EP done or something mm-hmm. but it just depends I've worked with people that have nothing going on, and they have some investment money, or they've done a GoFundMe or something. They have a little bit of money to work with.
0: Mm -hmm. So uh, let me ask you this. Um,
1: My job is to make whatever they have be as professional as possible.
0: Sure. What all does PLA Media do? Because you're not just a publicity company. I should have said that from the outset. You do more than just publicity. Yes. Some some companies that are just publicity. that, that That was a reference for my question at what point does someone hire you as a publicist
1: well it depends on what you're looking for here's what we offer I'll do it go backwards sure we offer graphic design
2: okay
1: if you do you need a logo do you need branding do you need a bio do you need a website designed we do all of that are you touring but you need you want to get more people more butts in seats we do tour press so it's sort of like we, we are acting more as what a management company would do and what a traditional artist development department at a record label. We sort of try to shore up all those needs okay? so that an artist is for you to be an artist. okay? Because sometimes when you're wearing all those hats, it's difficult. And that's what often will happen. Artists will be at a plateau. They'll get to a certain level you need a little bit of help, or you need a brain trust. You need someone to say, hey, let me listen to what you have. Here's what I would recommend releasing. Or what we might do is send out your product to a trusted radio promoter, even if they don't hire them. Just say, hey, of these songs, where would you think about releasing them? Which song would you release? Could you give some input? But often, the artist doesn't have those, they don't have those connections. Right. They may need a video promoter. They don't know who to call. We do. They might want to work on possibly having a Spotify promoter. They don't know who to talk to. And they're not sure if they're going to be calling someone reputable. I I mean, I really want to be sure that people don't get ripped off. And it's not the nicest business. And that does happen from time to time. Mm -hmm. We've had people come to us and they've just gone through their life savings and they're just bereft with. This is what happened to me. Yeah. So we try to help sweep up the pieces and help them get to the next level.
0: Can you say at least on an estimate level of what it it costs if someone wants to hire um, PLA Media? Since we're talking to you, that we'll we'll use you if we can. Um, like, what is the cost for someone to hire PLA Media to To be a publicist Uh,
1: it depends on what they're looking for i would say very bare minimum two two grand to twenty five hundred a month okay and then if you want additional services it would escalate from there if you wanted also social media as well on top of that
0: okay and that's just a continuing every month as long as they're they're working with you. it doesn't
1: have to be Uh, some most people we work with it's a monthly retainer some people will do it a la carte and typically what i try to say is if you really want an impact, you need to be with us at least three months just to kind of roll up our sleeves and get a little bit of momentum. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of our clients, they stay with us, or the only time they might break service is they need to channel money into another venue. They, they Maybe they're going to do a photo shoot, or maybe they're going to go in the studio, or they want to buy a bus or something. So typically, we... We are very, very lucky that our clients stay with us, and or they even. We found that this very often they will refer us other business. They'll call their friends and say, "Hey, you know what? They did a good job for me. You need to talk to them."
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So we try to look at it like it's an extended family. I know that sounds corny, but
2: no, not at all.
0: No, because they are an extension of you're an extension of what they do as an artist. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're you're getting their face out to the audience, to the masses, you know, to sort of, for people to know who they even are. So, I mean, there there's definitely legitimacy in what you guys do, you I know. Mean,
1: well, and it's such a vulnerable thing to do, Yeah. To, to get up on stage and to bear your soul. That's not easy to do. Yeah. And I, I look at it as a, an honor to work with them, but to try to protect them and try to try to surround them with support
0: so as far as advice goes now you're giving advice all throughout this whole interview and it's been fantastic if somebody wants to get into being a publicist whether they want to start their own company or they want to come work for a company like pla media Mm -hmm. um what are the steps let's take it let's do this let's talk about if you want to start your own company what are the steps work for someone first work for another company first
1: yes make sure it's something you want to do okay i mean first of all you have to ask yourself do i do i want to be an entrepreneur mm-hmm. do i have what it takes to be an entrepreneur and it takes a certain mindset to do that because there's going to be good months and bad months do i have the intestinal fiber to have a lean month and not get panicked or do I need am I the kind of personality that I need a steady paycheck every week Not everybody's cut out for it. I'm more of a risk taker. Yeah. So I for me it worked.
0: How long would you say someone should work for someone for another company before they jump out onto their own?
1: I would first of all don't leave unless you have clients you can you can take and be mindful because you probably have an empo- employment contract. Sure so don't you you want to leave as honorably as possible, yeah don't burn bridges, make sure you know figure out what your nut is if you want to start a company, what's your nut? Can you do it by yourself? Do you need an assistant? What's that assistant going to cost? How many retainers do you need at how much in order to cover your budget? I mean it's just like it's just like trying to buy a house or anything else. it's what can you afford to do, yeah. And I wouldn't leave until you feel that, do you have the contacts so that somebody walks in and puts their hard-earned money down? Can you provide them a valuable service? If you're learning still yourself and you don't know who to call the Tennessean, it's probably a little early for you to do that. Do you have the money to pay for Cision, which provides you with contacts? Do you have the money to pay for a list of podcasters? All of that costs money. Do you have the money to buy a computer? <laughs> That's, that is the caliber of what you need.
2: Yeah.
1: Do you want to work out of your house or do you think you need to have an office on Music Row? Yeah.
2: I mean,
1: and these are all big questions you have to ask. Sure. Now, it's, it's, since the pandemic, uh, certainly it's more acceptable to work at, out of your house. Uh, I had a client, interestingly enough, I had Nancy Griffith. I really wanted to work with her hmm. and she didn't hire me because I, I was working out of my house. Oh, really? That many years ago. Yeah. yeah. So that was like a slap against me that I wasn't serious or I wasn't successful enough that I should really have a proper office.
0: Yeah. And nowadays that's normal.
1: Yeah. It's not uncommon, but yeah. it's also fine to have an office as well. Or, or you can be, with. in our case, we work partially virtual and partially in the office. So we do in-person meetings all the time. So we have that flexibility. Mm-hmm. And I feel like... You know, you can't give people back their time. So the more, as a boss, the more that I can make it easy for people to work for me, and that they feel appreciated and they have plenty of time and freedom, they're going to be happier employees and hopefully stay with me.
0: Sure. You
1: know, you, nobody wants to live and breathe work.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, you got to know when to turn it off for the night. Yep. Go home and. and you got to have boundaries.
1: Do you have to have boundaries because I will tell you. People in the music industry are often brilliantly creative, very, uh, to get up on stage, it takes a certain amount of moxie to do that. But I find often it's this ego juxtaposed with insecurity and it's a teeter-totter. So people that need applause to feel happy, that's insecurity. You know, most people are terrified to get up on stage. That's like a number one fear, public speaking. Mm-hmm. So you look at all these wonderful people that live here that have no problem doing that. Or they might have a little bit of stage fright, but it's part of what they do is singing, sharing their music, sharing their stories, and getting paid for it and getting applause. That's the way that's the currency in their life. That's how it works. That's not the way most people live. Most people, the idea of going from city to city to city and being a traveler traveling troubadour it sounds good on paper it's not that glamorous it's hard to do yeah you know you're on stage for an hour and a half two hours but what did it take to get there yeah so i guess what i'm trying to say to you is the people that i know and i i love working with creative people but you have to have boundaries because if you don't they will call you they will text you sunday afternoon two in the morning, whatever, that will happen. So if you wanna have a life, which to me it's important to have boundaries, then you have to start off with those rules. If you don't care and you you wanna live and breathe the business, they're not your friends, they're your clients. So that doesn't mean you can't care for them deeply, which I care very much for my clients, but they're not my friends, they're my clients. So I have that kind of clear balance. Yeah. And that sounds kind of cold. I don't mean it to be.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just but it's knowing to separate. I mean, you can. I think you can have a friendship with people in the process. But I I understand what you're saying. I completely get it. I think the audience will understand that. You've got to be able to separate work from work from play. Play.
1: And here's the kicker: it's it's not like you're working at a meatpacking plant. Okay, you're working promoting music, and music is fun. Yeah, and music is. Endorphins, and so it's really hard to shut it off. So for me, anyway, and and not everybody feels that way. There are other people I know in the business where they, they live and breathe their clients, and they know about their personal life and all this stuff. I don't need to know about your marriage. I don't need to. It's not my business, yeah. you know. I mean, I'll listen a little bit, but I'm not a marriage counselor, you know. <laughs> yeah. I'm, that's not what I do. Yeah,
0: they're hiring you to do a job, and so you're yes. going to do that job just like anybody else. No, I completely I completely. And get I that. think
1: if you're not careful, those lines are very easily blurred. Yeah. And um, it's hard to get a balance in your life. I have certainly at times been very much out of balance, very much. And so... That goes along, along more with artist management, where I think, again, I mean, I can remember one of the early managers for the Judds. I mean, the Judds moved in with him and his wife for two or three years because he was kind, I guess. And I don't know. I mean, I was like, wow, that that was quite a commitment. Yeah. And they ended up leaving him and going somewhere else. But I mean, name any other business that, that would happen. Any other business. <laughs>
0: yeah interesting
1: so it's there's all these cross-pollinated relationships and boundaries and that are kind of blurred
0: yeah and one of the things i know you have to be really careful of is as you do build relationships you have to be careful not not to burn those bridges not to run a relationship and a friendship because i think inevitably you if you work with someone long enough you're going to create a friendship with them hopefully
1: familiarity breeds contempt yeah
0: so <laughs> and you just have to be really careful that you don't overstep boundaries and things like that. Well, and
1: also, if you're an artist manager or if you're um, a publicist, you're dealing with really creative people, and creative people are sometimes vulnerable. Mm. And the reason they're great at what they do is they're they're able to access that part of their brain, that part of their creativity or the God source, whatever you want to call that. But it also makes them... um, It's hard for them sometimes, I think, to... Mainstream into the rest of the world. And I think that's why so many people in the in the business struggle with addiction Hmm. struggle with mental health You know, they just it's just it makes these very strange bedfellows that are uh, They they they're demons they have to fight with sometimes and the greatest of the great have the biggest problems Yeah, and we we all know them (laughs) many of them die an early death.
0: Yeah But you guys help manage it really, really well. So that's what we're grateful that we try. Yeah. Um, So we're grateful that you guys do what you do as.
1: um, I mean, we have two floors of therapists next door that rent from me. Believe me, a lot of their clients are music people. (laughs) And and truthfully, I mean, thank God they're here. Yeah, sure. And I think a lot of people still dealing with pandemic and a lot of the turbulence in the world, they're even more frail. They're Mm -hmm. even more vulnerable. Yeah. And when you add to it that they're creatives, it makes them even more raw, if you will.
0: Sure. Um, well, as we wrap up, I'm, I could sit and talk to you for a long, long, long time, but I know you've got uh, other meetings to take care of. So I hope this
1: is helping. This
0: is amazing. I. This is great. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, oh, you're very nice. Just to to wrap up, you've already given tons of advice. Um, just as we wrap up, though, is there anything else, do's, don'ts, of being in the business as a either as management or as a publicist what would you anything you haven't said that you would like to say that would be helpful to to listeners that want to get into this to do what you do
1: as a publicist i think there's a lot of things that make a good publicist or just make a person who's going to be successful in business like people If, if you don't like people this is not the right arena to be in learn how to work a room Learn how to get out of the comfort zone. Learn how to sublimate your own ego because you're gonna do a lot of listening. To be good at what you do, to be a good manager, to be a good publicist, you're gonna have to put that other person ahead of you. Listen, be a good listener. Learn how to write. Words should be important to you. Learn how to write a letter. I mean, it's amazing how people don't know how to write a letter, learn how to talk on the phone. Sounds real basic. Have good table manners. So few people do <laughs> and people notice it. I do anyway. Um, I had someone last week give me two day notice and quit her job. That is burning a bridge and then said, oh, I didn't know that I should have given two weeks. Really? Yeah. And that was just pretty devastating. So that, unfortunately, it's a, it's a small town. If someone called about her and she was a good worker, I would not give a good recommendation because that was such a, a lack of respect for us and left us in the lurch. Yeah. We'll get through it, we always do. So just realize what your, the ramifications. I, what I realized when I moved here is that it's a big, small town. You yeah. can have a lot of anonymity in New York City. You cannot hear people talk. And you can do one bad thing, but they, especially if you're trying to be respected by artists, don't go out and get plowed with them. You know, you gotta be the adult in the room. You gotta be the one that gets up and meets, is able to make the nine o'clock morning uh, phone call right. or whatever it is, address appropriately, especially if you're a woman, watch what you post on social media, it will follow you the rest of your life. It is like styrofoam. And we have a woman that came to us, we didn't hire her because her social media was so skanky. She came in there with this plunging neckline, and I'm like, w- she's she's not an artist. She's you know I don't want that kind of personality, and I'm not a prude at all, but that's not who I want representing my artist. Sure. You're not in competition with the artist. You're you are the adult in the room who is protecting that artist and making sure that you are presenting that person in a professional manner and yourself in a professional manner.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I would watch vulgarity. I mean, I know someone totally out of the m- music business. Has lost so much respect because the the way they speak, uh, and the kind of people that they're interacting with, it has really hurt them, even though they're brilliant. And if they could shore that up, but unfortunately the damage is done. Yeah. You see, and it's, there's sometimes there's no going back. If you're having a bad day, don't go out in public. <laughs> just, just work out of your work at home, whatever. Just it's just not a great idea to go out and put that face out there. And I think also people perceive the music industry and the arts in general as being glamorous. So they might be in a very mundane job that they work. And so they look at what we do as, wow, that's exciting. And in many ways it is. It's very gratifying and it's fun. And I always hate to hear people complain. And I had an artist say to me one time, I'm so sick of hearing people complain about the business when they're driving around in a tour bus that costs more than most people's homes. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And he said, and I will not use the vernacular that he used, he said, when I I get into this club to perform, it doesn't matter, but I'm there to entertain. And I'm there to take these people away for a minute from whatever they're dealing with. If they need to grieve, I'm there to grieve with them. If they need to laugh, I'm there to laugh with them or tap their feet or let them dance. But the fact that I'm on this stage, most of them would give their left lung to be where I am. Right. And that's the truth of it. Sure. But that's not always what uh, people in the business feel. They Mm -hmm. just feel like they feel apart from the rest of the world. And in many ways, they are. And I heard something else funny one time. They said, you know, when you play for a living... Cause what do we say? Oh, I, I played a gig. Well, what's the word? Play. It's not work. It's play. So I think that's part of why people don't take musicians seriously mm-hmm. sometimes. Well, they just they're are they are just musicians. You know, they would work for free, and many of them do. Just go down low abroad. You know? Right.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: so you know the success. Really, if, if there are a lot of other ways to make way more money. You know, there, there's the lucky people that really make a killing, but. They're, they're not that many. But the other thing is, if you don't have to be a professional musician. You can, you can sing in the church choir and still feel gratified. You can have a guitar pull at your house and learn how to play the guitar and go online and be the best musician you can for you and your friends and your family. You may not want to be an arena act that may be more than you want, you're willing to, to deal with.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's, there's no sin in that either. It's yeah. just what makes you happy. Sure. And, and not having regrets if you will feel in 10 years, 20 years when you're on your deathbed, I should have then do it and give you give yourself a, a limit of how much time you would you're willing to put into this.
0: Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, thank you. My pleasure. That's great. I'm super excited for for people to to hear this and I know it's going to bless a lot of people and well, give people you. things to work on and to reach for goals to reach toward in their in their careers as well. So um have fun super too.
1: Just don't take it too seriously. Absolutely. Just have fun and lighten up. <laughs> that's you know a... the the world doesn't doesn't need more angst. Yeah. The world needs more love and levity and smiling yeah. happiness. That's what we need. You know, it's the best remedy. For well, god.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh yes, and that's a perfect perfect note to end on so thank you for your time I'm so grateful My pleasure and thanks for
1: coming to Historic Music Row
0: I love being on Music Row I haven't been down here for a while so I'm grateful to get to come be down here
1: well so. go look out front we have a historic sign so take a look at it, it tell us about the history of these this area I will it that that. has the original flat for the buildings
0: awesome yeah. thank you have a great day you as well alright guys there you have it I hope you had a great time listening to our conversation today I hope you take what we've talked about today and find ways to apply it to your career as well Please be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen to it on. And please share it with all of your friends so that we can continue to get this message out to everyone around the world. Remember, Edinburgh Productions is here to help if you need consulting services via phone, Skype, Zoom, or FaceTime. Let us know how we can help you begin to make a living in the music industry.